program is made possible by the support of the listeners. For all the ways you can help, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, Counterspin, The Onion Radio News, The Progressive, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, and The Rachel Maddow Show. The bonus clip today for our iPhone app users is another great one from The Colbert Report. If I do end up in a fisticuffs with the TikTok men, you know who I want on my side? Rhode Island Congressman Patrick Kennedy. Last Wednesday, he lit up Capitol Hill. Jim? We're talking about Eric Massa 24-7 on the TV. We're talking about war and peace, $3 billion, a 1,000 lives, and no press. No press. The press of the United States is not covering the most significant issue of national importance, and that's the laying of lives down in the nation for the service of our country. There's one, two press people in this gallery. That tirade was way out of line. Those two members of the press were trying to sleep. Now, the specific legislation being ignored here by the press was Dennis Kucinich's resolution to pull troops out of Afghanistan within 30 days. Now, while that may seem like an implausible fantasy, remember, the press did report on Kucinich's presidential campaign. Well, there is a way to refocus the media on our war in Afghanistan, and it is the subject of tonight's word. (laughs) Afghanistan. Just Afghanistan, folks, nothing clever. Our nation is at war. But all the media can focus on is the sordid details of the Eric Massa scandal. Now, I've been over all of them on my show, and I don't need to recap them now. The tickle fights, the non-sexual groping, and being poked in the chest by a naked Rahm Emanuel. Though, though Rahm famously lost the tip of his finger as a teenager, so I don't know what he was poking Massa with. (laughs) Now, obviously, obviously I'm guilty, too. But you have to understand where those of us in the media are coming from. The war in Afghanistan is nine years old. And, of course, the public and the media are going to be tempted to ignore the subject especially when there is a much more important story. Patrick Kennedy's meltdown on Capitol Hill. It was Congressman Patrick Kennedy who launched into an absolute tirade this afternoon on the floor of the House. Screaming at the top of his lungs on the House floor, Congressman Kennedy went ballistic. Congressman Patrick Kennedy unleashes an epic rant. Congressman Patrick Kennedy ripped into the media. Patrick Kennedy's meltdown, we got the videotape. It's all in my new segment. Camelot, Camelos, the madness of Prince Patrick. Oh no, he cannot do it. <laughs> Folks. I'll have more on this story as my graphics department completes it. <laughs> but America must never forget that we've committed 100,000 of our brave men and women to fight in Afghanistan. That's not just army. That's Air Force, Marines, and Navy. Speaking of which, I hear when Massa was serving in the Navy during Desert Storm, he walked in on a bunkmate who was masturbating and asked, you need any help with that? (laughs) Although, technically, when someone else helps, it's no longer masturbation. (laughs) It's team building. (laughs) And folks, let's face it, Afghanistan is complicated. 
When the Russians invaded in 1979, we supported the Mujahideen, elements of which later formed al-Qaeda. When the Taliban took power, they embraced al-Qaeda, but other Mujahideen formed the Northern Alliance, who were our allies when we overthrew the Taliban, and a lot of them weren't Pashtuns, which were the larger ethnic group, meow, meow, meow. But <laughs> the point is, Patrick Kennedy is right. Complexity is no reason to ignore a story. You've got to dig deep and explain it, no matter how convoluted the details. Like, it turns out an old Navy friend of Massa's bunkmate, Tom Maxfield, said that Tom told him, the friend, not Massa, that once Tom woke up in the middle of the night to see Massa undoing his pants trying to snorkel him. <laughs> now, legally, I can't explain what snorkeling is. Let's just say you're wearing that snorkel because you're spearfishing for the one-eyed trouser trout. <laughs> now, folks, the media has an obligation to keep you informed about the events in Afghanistan. For instance, last week, our man Hamid Karzai invited the 9-11 and Holocaust-denying, nuke-pursuing, protester-shooting president of Iran to their capital city and sat there while he criticized America, the country that is keeping Karzai's head from being lopped off by the Taliban. But, but the most disturbing part of the story is what they did when they met. They hugged two dudes. Look, Jimmy, show them. Look at that. Now, I'm not saying they're playing hide the kebab, but it sure looks like Karzai is being groped by Mahmoud Ahmetikuljad. We have got to stay on this story. Representative Kennedy, you're welcome. December NATO attack in eastern Afghanistan's Kunar province reportedly killed at least nine people. According to NATO, all militants. According to Afghans, civilians, including children. The first round of reporting showcased how some outlets continue to be willing to take the U.S.-NATO line at face value, especially when that line is delivered anonymously, as in the December 29th New York Times. Quote, a senior NATO official with knowledge of the operation said that the raid had been carried out by a joint Afghan American force and that its target was a group of men who were known Taliban members and smugglers of homemade bombs, close quote. The nameless official was adamant, quote, these were people who had a well-established network. They were IED smugglers and also were responsible for direct attacks on Afghan security and coalition forces in those areas, close quote. The official, we're told, has to be anonymous because of the delicacy of the issue. Well, some would say the delicacy of the issue is another reason people should be 
be required to make accusations on the record and be held accountable when those claims turn out to be distortions or falsehoods, as has happened numerous times in Afghanistan. In this case, too, a subsequent story in The Times will tell readers that NATO has since backed away somewhat that's the paper's parlance, from their initial certainties. But the paper's credulousness never seems to abate. It's only reserved for U.S. officials, though. The December 29th piece even warns readers about some less reliable actors they might be hearing from. Quote, Senior American military officials cautioned that such episodes tended to be complex and that because of the anger about civilian casualties, Mr. Karzai was under enormous pressure to speak out quickly, sometimes before investigation were complete, close quote. That's propaganda at work. Assurances from officials that the raid killed exactly who they say it did, and the reminder that another version of reality may soon emerge from the Afghan side due to anger that their politicians must react to. The Times added that, quote, the conflicting accounts and Mr. Karzai's public statements underline the tensions over civilian casualties that have become among the most contentious issues between the Afghan president and his international backers, as well as one of the most political fraught for Afghans, close quote. It never seems to occur to anyone at the Times that it might not be the contentious political issue of civilian casualties that troubles Afghans. Maybe it's the dead relatives. local harlot exposes her face and neck. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. Damascus area seamstress Fatima Al-Kawi was witnessed in the act of removing her veil in the town marketplace in plain view of the public. Area rug trader Malik Al-Faziz spoke through an interpreter. I saw the hair, the face, even a slight wedge of skin below the neckline. Nothing was left to the imagination. Community leaders and law enforcement officials immediately stoned the evil harlot to death. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. What's the point if you ain't time careful of? What's the point with a love makes you ain't time careful? You've got a heart on fire, expression with desire. The Obama escalation in Afghanistan isn't going well. Killing civilians sure doesn't help. U.S. forces mistakenly killed 27 on Sunday and reportedly eight more in the next 48 hours. And U.S. generals acknowledge that military progress is slower than they wanted. Media reports indicate that U.S. troops are doing all the essential tasks, not Afghan forces, that are supposed to take over in almost a year. That doesn't look like it's got a chance of working out. 
Meanwhile, we've reached the morbid milestone of 1,000 U.S. servicemen killed in Afghanistan, and the rate's higher than it's been since the war began in 2001. What are we doing there? Al-Qaeda's not even in Afghanistan. They're in Pakistan, which is our supposed ally. And Afghanistan's barely a country itself for most of its existence, except when empires like the British, the Soviets, or the Americans came in. It's been more of a disparate collection of tribal groups than a unified nation. Trying to turn it into one is a losing cause. And with every civilian Afghan the U.S. kills, with every home it ransacks, with every innocent man it detains, the U.S. becomes less and less popular and the Taliban only more so. This is how you spell quagmire. We've got to get out of there, and we've got to get out of there now. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. The least surprising uh, thing of all time. You're not gonna believe this. Are you sitting? Are you okay? Are you buckled up? You know, if you're in the car and you're listening. It looks like the White House is going to move towards military trials for the 9-11 suspects. Wow, what a disappointment. I didn't see this coming at all. I thought they were going to stick to their guns. You know, they were going to have the civilian trials, and they were going to bring Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to uh, New York, where he committed the crime, and use the American justice system. And when the Republicans pressured him, I thought Obama would hold strong. It turns out he didn't. He buckled. JR, did you see this coming? I mean, I am just taken aback by this development. Obama caved in again. Huh. Oh, golly gee willikers. I hope this is the last time. Pathetic weakness on issue after issue after issue. All they have to do is go, okay, where do you want the trials? Where do you want them? You don't want them in New York? Okay, we'll be in New York. Oh, you don't want to be a civilian court? Okay, 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 we'll do military trials. Okay, okay, do you love me? No, they don't love you, man. They're going to continue to criticize you for everything you do, no matter what you do. When are you going to wake up to that? And Matt Iglesias had a great little tweet about this, and I retweeted it on our account. You should check that out, twitter.com slash Turks. I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. Uh, and he said, well, now that Obama's buckled on this, uh, luckily the Republicans will agree with him from now on. <laughs> Come on, come on, come on, come on, You know what this does? Of course, it just encourages them. They think, oh, okay, this uh, Obama's a pushover. And so uh, let's keep on pushing him over. Okay, Obama, you keep getting pushed over. See how that works out for you. See if that brilliant uh, political strategy uh, is going to work in the long run. Okay? So, okay, uh, we now scrap uh, the American justice system. And like Bush, we will go. In fact, this is worse than Bush. Bush had civilian trials. We told you about that over and over. Yeah, he used the military tribunals, and that was terrible and disastrous, and Obama ran against that. But uh, for the shoe bomber and many others, he used civilian trials, and the Republicans didn't even care. Now the Obama administration, because of their cowardice, 
are acting in a more right-wing direction than Bush did. Congratulations. Change you can believe. have given the president too much power. I completely agree with him for the next three years. Please welcome Gary Wills. Thank you, thank you. Mr. Wills, thank you so much for joining me. Now, sir, uh, you have a new book. The name is a bit of a bombshell. It's Bomb Power, the modern presidency and the national security state. Thank you for making it orange to reflect the current alert level. <laughs> I assume it changes yeah. when things get less or more dangerous. Right. What does the bomb have to do with the president other than the fact that he's the one who gets to say, launch him? That's exactly right. For the first time, the president was given the power to initiate war. The Constitution says Congress has the only power to declare war. But after oh, but the, that, after that's a very quaint idea, sir. But. Well, the president had been sending troops off to war for you know, hundreds of years without not asking really, Congress. Not really. Oh, come on. There was declarations of war all through the 19th century. Now there were police actions, there were pirate actions, but the president. So, in those so you're cases, okay if we just don't call it war? We can call it police no, action or pirate action or just war. kicking a little ass. That's as long okay as with it's you. It's not war. And the presidents like Jefferson and Madison, when they did send troops, Congress was out of session. When it came back into session, they asked for approval. But what, the, what's the harm of the president? The president in this modern, dangerous world, you know it's a dangerous world, right? Of course. You're aware it's a dangerous yeah. world. Okay. In this modern world, the president can't take the time. We can't let the smoking gun be a mushroom cloud, <laughs> That sir. depends on whether we're attacked in a nuclear way. We haven't been, but it went from the ability of the president to respond to a nuclear attack to saying that he can declare war in a conventional way and in covert ways, and now, under Bush, the Office of Legal Counsel said only the president can declare war. Now, that's, that's really well, going pretty far. He's the commander-in-chief, sir. That, that he's the commander-in-chief. Uh, commander constitu Have you read the Constitution? Yes. <laughs> okay, commander-in-chief. Commander-in-chief is the commander-in-chief of the military in time of war, not of the citizenry. But now we talk about him as our commander-in-chief. In fact, when Absolutely. I did an op-ed... support our troops, sir. And the president, <laughs> the president is when the number I, one troop. When I did an op-ed <laughs> in the New York Times saying that the president's not my commander-in-chief, I'm a civilian, I got letters saying, if he's not your commander-in-chief, then you're not an American. Get out of this country. Now, that's what it's come to, that we have to obey our commander-in-chief. He's not our commander-in-chief. He's the commander-in-chief of the military. And the president is not a military office. That was proved when the, uh, a court case was brought and said the president doesn't draw military pay, doesn't get a military pension, can't be court-martialed. Uh, as What's the harm? Uh, what, I, I understand. I, you, you've made your point, but what, I don't agree with it, but I understand your point. <laughs> What's the harm in the president having this power? I thought you liked the Founding Fathers. They didn't want us to have a caudillo that we salute. 
They wanted us to be. I don't know what a caudillo is. <laughs> What's a caudillo? A generalissimo. Oh, general, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> okay? Americano. <laughs> right. Okay? He wanted the people to be in charge of the government. In fact, when Franklin left the government and we returned to the citizenry, he said, I'm returning to the employer class. I was just an employee when I was in office. But so now the president's got this power. Do you want to wrest it from the president again? You can't. Because he, the president knows things that we don't know. Because, ah. because they're, they're, they're secrets that the president knows. That's right. That, that's that what, make it necessary for him to declare war and not said. tell anybody that's why. That's what LBJ said. If you knew what I know about Vietnam, you would know how prudent and wise I've been. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out the Pentagon Papers were released, and he didn't know anything that justified the, the Vietnam War. Yes, but until that secret was released, he, 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 he did know more than we did. No. no. Yes, he did. He just happened to know that he didn't know. When we found out that he didn't know what he said he knew, then we knew more. You know. This is the danger of an open society. So are you danger, afraid it's going to harm no, the Constitution? The danger now is that the secrets are not kept from our enemies, but from us. You know, Doonesbury has a wonderful strip and sends his character Fred into Cambodia, and he sees this ruined house and a couple standing in front of it, and he says, boy, this is historic ground. This is the site of the secret bombing of Cambodia. And the man says, no, it wasn't any secret. I said to Martha, see, there are the bombs. It was, it was secret from Congress. He didn't want Congress to know that he was invading another country. Well, he what was are using... the secrets that are happening now that you think are a danger to America because of this bomb power well, the, the last, president has? The last great secret was that WMD was in uh, Iraq. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. But they claim right out of there, baby. <laughs> right. No, we we drew in the terrorists at the, right there. Is are you are you afraid that the, the Constitution is in danger here? Oh, absolutely. But do we need it anymore? <laughs> because like you're a Catholic, I'm a Catholic, yeah. but I don't know if you eat pork, but I eat shellfish. You know, Leviticus is nice, but I don't pay attention to it anymore. <laughs> The Constitution is not a revelation. It's a bargain that the people made, and it's been broken. There's no reason why we should allow that to happen. Who should have this control you're talking about? Congress. Declare Congress. Of course. But if, if you ask the Senate if you can push the button, Richard Shelby will hold up pushing the button until the button is manufactured in Alabama. <laughs> I'm not talking about pushing the button. You know, the bomb power that has grown out of the original grant doesn't really apply necessarily to releasing the bomb. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, because I was afraid you had something against nuclear bombs themselves. It was what grew up around nuclear bombs that bothered exactly. you. Exactly. Okay, good. So, watch out, because even this guy's willing to... <laughs> um... Last question. Hiroshima Nagasaki. Yes, no. No. No? No. All right. Gary Wills, thank you so much for joining me. The book is Bomb Power.
March 9th headline in the New York Times read, Experts Urge Keeping Two Options for Terror Trials. By two options, they mean the government should be able to try people accused of terrorism-related crimes under the regular criminal justice system as well as with the military tribunals, established by the Bush administration and subsequently modified by Obama. But who does the Times mean by experts, exactly? The story by Charlie Savage and Scott Shane specifically cites national security officials who served in the Bush administration, though later on, national security officials from both the Bush and Obama administrations are also mentioned. Balancing out these voices of the national security establishment are various Republicans and conservatives who argue that the civilian court system is unnecessary when it comes to terrorism trials, and military tribunals should be exclusively used to try those accused of such crimes. Conspicuously missing from this framing are those who argue that military tribunals are unconstitutional, and that even people accused of terrorism-related crimes are still entitled to the guarantees of the Bill of Rights. Given that the Supreme Court in 2006 ruled that the tribunals, as set up by the Bush administration, did not pass constitutional muster, this is not exactly a fringe position. But for the New York Times, apparently the Supreme Court majority isn't expert enough to be included in this debate. St. Joseph's baby aspirin. Bartles and James and you. Or your memory. I ducked behind the drapes when I saw the moon begin to rise. Gathered in my loose ends, switched on the light. Down there in the dark, I could see the real truth about me, as clear as day. Lord, if I make it through tonight, then I will mend my ways. Uh, a public figure uh, in our country right now is being attacked over the conduct of, of the war on terror. But it's not President Obama. The victim of this vicious smear campaign is one Elizabeth Cheney. Has Liz Cheney simply gone way too far? Asking Attorney General Eric Holder to name Justice Department staffers who have in the past represented terror detainees. The spot posted by the group Keep America Safe raises questions about where their loyalty lies. A group of conservative lawyers sharply rebuked the ad. Conservative lawyer taking on Liz Cheney? <laughs> Someone's getting invited on a quail hunt. <laughs> Let's go. Hold steady. Liz Cheney is the founder of a group called Keep America Safe. Critics of Keep America Safe argue that rather than safe keeping Americans, they are in fact keeping America afraid. Larry Coder, Americans have a right to know the identity of the Al Qaeda Seven. See? <laughs> Who's the Al Qaeda Seven? It's an innocuous question, like. Who's in the Jackson 5? <laughs> we all know Michael, but don't the other guys deserve some accolades? Tito, Jermaine, Osama. I'll tell you one person who sees nothing wrong with Liz Cheney's ad. Liz Cheney. What the ad does, and actually it doesn't question anybody's loyalty. Exactly! It doesn't question their loyalty, it states outright. They are the Al-Qaeda 7. <laughs>
It's not a question, it's a declaration. And they're not suggesting even that that's a bad thing. They're just picturing American lawyers in shadow with music suggesting a lone survivor of a nuclear blast crawling out of a giant crater where Vermont used to be. <laughs> By the way, once the Obama administration gives us the information, we can fill in the shadows. Maybe the lawyers are bad guys. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe we find out there's nothing to worry about at all. Yeah, that's who they are. The point of the ad is... <laughs> It's either Darth Vader or David Schwimmer. My, that's my point. The point is, keep America safe is not questioning these people's loyalty. What's the issue again? I mean, I think we need transparency. Absolutely. Transparency. Absolutely. Exactly. Transparency. But you would not believe how obstinate the attorney general can be. I have explained to you why I'm not turning over the documents. We believe that to provide this kind of information would impair the ability of advice giving in the executive branch to be candid, forthright, thorough, and accurate at all times. I'm sorry, that was the wrong attorney general. I, uh, that was John Ashcroft back when transparency was the thing that aided and abetted the enemy. So, uh, uh, what is this Department of Justice hiding? A simple internet search will turn up the names of the Justice Department lawyers who previously represented detainees, but the Justice Department will not provide a full list. Aha! <laughs> so the names are out there, but not in list form. <laughs> and doesn't collating and alphabetizing distract Keep America Safe from their real job of making Keep America Safe commercials? The real issue of defending terrorists is not transparency or values, but in fact goes back to this nation's very founding. I think these are people who have a peculiar understanding of the American Constitution and who, who have a view contrary to Adams who believe that the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Yes! What kind of an ass would repudiate the great John Adams and put his nation at risk? by defending the vilest of the vile. I'll tell you what kind of an ass John Adams. <laughs> like he did in the wake of the Boston Massacre. This is a time for choosing sides. I intend to prove this colony is governed by law. <laughs> I, I can't believe that back then they had HD. <laughs> Crowd hammer. Splurge for HBO. Hi, everyone. Now, running this podcast is an absolute passion of mine that I've been pursuing for years. But, of course, everyone understands that it takes a little bit of money to get along in this world. And that's where the members come in. Members sign up and donate as little as $5 a month, which allows me to pump out 10 episodes per month now. So while you're thinking about that and rationalizing that little expense, just realize it breaks down to only 50 cents per episode, and it's even less if you sign up for a full year. And beyond that, in return, you get access to a set of members-only raw feeds, and these deliver audio plus video clips from the show, as well as a separate feed just for bonus content that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. So for details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks for your support.
the Office of Professional Responsibility in the Justice Department is tasked with the, the job of figuring out who is, you know, following the laws within the Justice Department, who's following the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. They're the ones that keep an eye out to make sure the Justice Department is actually following the law, right? So they had an investigation of the infamous torture memos during the Bush administration, mainly written by Jay Bybee and John Yoo. And they wanted to see if they, the people who wrote these memos were following internal Justice Department guidelines and were following the law itself. Right? And they came to a conclusion that they had not, that they had done professional misconduct. They basically, in order to appease the policy uh, people over at the White House, namely Dick Cheney, his uh, top lawyer, David Addington, etc., uh, wrote opinions that uh, now the Office of Professional Responsibility think uh, were not justified by the law at all. So that they should be brought up, not in a criminal trial, but brought to the bar to have them explain how in the world did you come up with these opinions inside the Justice Department saying it was okay to torture when it seems so absolutely and clearly against the laws of this country. And to give you a sense of how egregious John Yu was, the Office of Professional Responsibility, in the middle of the investigation, invited him in to ask him questions. And he came in and answered. And they asked him, hey, um, let me ask you a wild hypothetical. Quote, what about ordering a village of re resistance to be massacred? Is that a power that the president could legally have? Now, they're asking this because John Yu wrote memos saying the president has the power to do anything, anything. He can torture people. He can ignore Congress's laws. As long as we're in a time of war and we are always at war with terrorism, the president is above the law, basically. Now, that's unjustifiable in our system, according to our laws and according to our Constitution. That's why they think this is professional misconduct. But they're giving him an opportunity here. Could the president order a massacring of civilians? Here's John Yu's answer. Yeah. Although, let me say this, so, so certainly that would fall within the commander of chief's power over tactical decisions. Not unclear. Yes, it falls within his tactical decision power making. So he'd like to massacre civilians, perfectly uh, capable of doing that, and that would be perfectly legal. And the investigator is shocked. He can't believe it. He asks, to order a village of civilians to be exterminated? Use answer, sure. He didn't stutter. So, now this is obviously against the law. It's not even taking U.S. law into consideration at all. It's just John Yu's opinion that, yeah, the president can do any damn thing he likes. He can murder anyone he likes. It's crazy, right? So, why am I angry at the Obama administration? Well, they sent in a hack, uh, what, in the terms of the Washington media, they call him a, a career veteran. His name is David Margolis. He takes the conclusions of the Office of Professional Responsibility that said this was professional misconduct on you and Bybee's part, and he changes it. Did he do his own separate investigation? Did he interview you? Did he go through all the things that they did? Nope. He's a political hack brought in to wash things over. So he takes that and goes, no, it's not professional misconduct. I, in my, uh, you know, infinite wisdom, have decided that it does not rise to that level. It's just simply um, something we disagree with. Well, that's just a matter of disagreement then, isn't it? So, 
They will not be brought before uh, the bar. There will be no uh, investigation. No crimes were committed, even though they did all this investigation and said they sh that this was misconduct. Throw that in the garbage because they brought in a politician or a guy who will do whatever a politician says, and in this case, Obama, to say, we're going to look forward. We're not going to look backward. The Justice Department's job is not to look at crimes of the past, which is, of course, nonsense. That's exactly what the Justice Department is supposed to do. They look at crimes that happened. And I'm supposed to look into the future, what crimes might possibly happen. No, you look at the crimes that did happen and prosecute them. So they are free to go. No one will suffer any consequences for the torture that was ordered, for the ridiculous, outrageous, so-called legal memorandum that were written to justify it. And John, you will continue to be a, a law professor. <laughs> a law professor. This kid, man, you know, he's at Berkeley. I, I, you'd have to be crazy to send your kids to Berkeley. It, Berkeley should, uh, law school should, no one should go to Berkeley Law School. While this, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Office of Professional Responsibility before Margolis, the hatchet man was sent in, uh, is a criminal. And that guy's teaching your kids you're going to pay money to get taught by John Yu? <laughs> Hell no. Hell no, man. Everybody at Berkeley should be up in arms. Okay? They should protest until that guy is fired. They shouldn't go to a single class at Berkeley until he's fired. We know what the real report said, not what Obama's guy uh, changed it to. So now... And Bybee's a sitting federal judge. And knowing the Republicans, once you get a Republican president back in, he'll be promoted again. Who knows? Maybe the Supreme Court's in his future. All right, probably won't happen. Okay, but he's got a great job sitting on the federal bench. Now, why am I so bad at the Obama administration? I mean, for the reasons that I explained, obviously. But look, here's the, the critical part. It's one thing for somebody to break the law. It's another thing for someone to sanction it. Sanctioning it is almost worse. Because, look, you'll always have criminals. You'll always have people pushing the boundaries, in this case, of our democracy. To say, oh, no, 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 the president is above the law. The president can break the law. The president could order torture. The president could order murder. And none of it matters. You'll always have those guys. It, but if you don't punish them, or if you don't at least say, hey, this is misconduct, this was legally wrong, then you say it's okay, it's sanctioned. And the next time a Republican comes in office, or maybe a Democrat, they're going to turn back and say, well, it was a matter of disagreement. It's not really illegal. It's not really misconduct. It's just a matter of disagreement. So now we go back to torturing and killing. And that is more dangerous than anything else. Obama here with, honestly, in my opinion, his cowardice in not pursuing what the real Justice Department findings were in burying them has set a terrible and grave precedent. precedent. Torture is no longer illegal, just a matter of opinion. And it's hard to do more damage to the country than by setting that precedent.
A former speechwriter to President George W. Bush's new book is called Courting Disaster, How the CIA Kept America Safe and How Barack Obama is Inviting the Next Attack. Please welcome to the program, Mark Thiessen, sir. Thanks for joining us. First of all, let me say, the, this book is thick, but the font size is very appealing. It's very, let me just show you very quickly. Uh, you know, that's a read you can get through. Okay. Just saying. Uh, uh, so let, let, let's talk, boy, this is all just bubbling up. This whole uh, uh, keeping America safe mm -hmm. uh, with Liz Cheney's group. You, you wrote an editorial, uh, basically, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth about you. You felt that Liz Cheney was being unfairly maligned by these uh, uh, people attacking these ads. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I mean, I think she raises a legitimate question. And it's not just her. It's the all the Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. uh, if a if a mob lawyer. Uh, was hired to, uh, a bunch of mob lawyers were hired to uh, handle mob cases in the Justice Department. It would be a legitimate question to ask, who are they? Who did they represent? What, uh, what, right. uh, what uh, cases are they involved in? If a bunch of drug cartel lawyers had been right. hired, would they... Uh, and, are you, but you're not, are you suggesting that these lawyers, I mean, mob lawyers and drug cartel lawyers depend on the mob and the drug cartel. They, they work for them. They are, these are people who worked pro bono. This is not their main... Uh, they, they work pro bono to spring to enemy combatants who were captured in the, under the, and held under the laws of war. I mean, this you, you I thought the, they argued it in front. Didn't they argue it in front of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court uh, agreed? Wasn't that Hamdan? That was that was the Hamdan decision. Yeah. There's so, a, the, but let me let me tell so you. So the this. Supreme Court ag agreed with them. They, well, the Supreme Court did, yeah agreed with them and uh, they made a, and a view. So of, should we call the Supreme view, the wrong... Court Al Qaeda nine? <laughs> <laughs> well, you raised uh, you raised John Adams. Um, I, John, I did you know, raise John, John Adams yes, from the dead. I, I can know. do that. It's, you're very talented. Want to uh, talk to John Hancock? <laughs> <laughs> but John Adams actually represented people who had been accused of crimes. Uh, there's a vast difference between representing someone who's been accused of crime. Everybody gets a lawyer under the Sixth Amendment if you've been accused of a crime. Mm -hmm. The people in Guantanamo Bay have not been accused of crimes. They are being held as enemy combatants in a right. time of war. In the 234-year history of this country, mm -hmm. until 2004, that's the case you cite, never once has a successful habeas corpus petition been made to free an enemy combatant of the millions of people that have been held in the United States right. under the laws of well, war. I thought that the point nowhere was... In oh, the, okay. Nowhere in the Geneva Convention yes. does it say that you have a right to a lawyer and a right to petition to be, to, uh, be uh, released before the end of hostilities. Well, so I, these are I, controversial I questions. They are controversial questions, and I appreciate that, that a lot of the uh, lawyers working on both sides are working in good faith. Mm -hmm. I, I think the question here, and, and we can argue the points of uh, whether or not the Geneva Convention Article 3 should apply, whether it mm -hmm. shouldn't apply, whether these lawyers were just trying to do their civic duty to uphold the rule of law mm -hmm. in America, and rather than about being charged with crimes, challenging the fact that they can be detained in limbo yeah. for a war that, that has no end as, as even the thing. But let's, let's get to the point of, of demonization. You are upset that John Yoo and Bybee and those lawyers had been demonized by the left because of, you know, the so-called torture memos. Mm -hmm. And is that a justification for calling seven lawyers the Al-Qaeda Seven, which well, I think you, even you would admit is but, pejorative. But, I mean, it's not even comparable. I mean, the, 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 you know, if, do you object if a, if a, mo a person who represents a, uh, a mob kingpin is called a mob lawyer? The, these if people that, represented Al-Qaeda. I, I do, these I do people, object, yes. Well, okay, well, I mean, it's uh, let me ask you but, this. But, but, but it's done if every day. If you represent a pedophile, yeah. 
are you then saying, well, I am sympathetic to pedophiles? Well, if let's say... That Everybody you, that represents pedophiles no. is sympathetic to pedophiles. Is let's, that your contention? No, no, what I'm saying to you is that, well, let's, let's take the pedophile case. All if, right. you, if, you do, if, all the, if you're a lawyer, and pro, these are pro bono jobs, so mm -hmm. you have a limited amount of time, pro bono time, to spend uh, right. litigating something, mm -hmm. and you decide that you're going to spend all of your time mm -hmm. representing pedophiles, it would raise a question. If, if, why? If you, because, because why are you so interested in, in why are you trying to free these people? <laughs> I mean, if you were if you spend all because your time you trying to free, believe in the rule of law but, and that the country's but, fabric but is decided is not again, by the easiest again, cases to take, again, but the hardest no, no, cases no. to again, take. Again, I'm telling you, isn't that isn't that the issue? Uh, what I'm saying to you is, is that these people. And, and by no, the way, no, no, this no, isn't all of their time. You're, you're saying that these people no, made it their these, lives work. There are people who have made it their lives work. But listen, but I don't think. Hold on. Let me let me let me get a all right. I'm sorry, into this. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. I apologize. That some of these people have very radical views. Jennifer Daskal is one of the one of these lawyers who has been uh, been raised questions about. Mm -hmm. She has written that any terrorist who is not charged with a crime, um, as even though they're being held as lawful combatants in the law, should be released from Guantanamo and set free, even though we know that they may go out and kill American soldiers. We know that Al Qaeda terrorists who have been it, released. We know right. that al-Qaeda terrorists who have been released as a result of habeas corpus cases, the pressure right. of habeas corpus cases, have gone and killed American soldiers. The, the, deputy me, just, the deputy isn't, commander... No. Isn't that actually just what the Supreme Court said? No, the Supreme Court did not say that, that a dangerous terrorist should be released, even though mm -hmm. we know that they are going to go out and kill Americans. But you just added a word there that I think is somewhat, again, you said a dangerous terrorist. If if they're a dangerous terrorist, I'm assuming that we've come up with a reason to hold them. Yes, the Bush administration it's cold, it's released cold. 500 of these people. I know. Now, I assume there was a process Under, that they went through. Yes, there so was. So Jennifer Haskell, were, the yes, activist yeah, or yeah. with radical views, is actually just parroting what I assume no, is the view not, of the Bush administration. No, not at all. Well, not then why did close. they release 500 people? There were there were people who were who were released who should have not been released. There were there was a huge pressure because of the habeas campaign. The habeas campaign that so the been, Bush administration made us less safe. The Bush administration made mistakes. Absolutely, we, okay. I, I don't. I don't hold so that the Bush administration did everything right. Let me get to a larger right. point here, which I think is 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 maybe the issue. The thing that I object to is the idea of safety, and I and I'll mm -hmm. ex explain that. The idea that that can be a concrete certainty. This makes us safe. This doesn't. These are all subjective realities. The idea of something that makes us safe. You can make the argument that. Guantanamo keeps us safe because there are bad people in it. They can make the argument that by having Guantanamo open, it allows easier recruitment for terrorists, which ultimately... Yeah, I disagree with that entirely. I know you disagree yeah. with it, yeah. but I'm saying that is a valid argument. Well, I, I, I don't think it is. Uh, the, what, there was no Guantanamo Bay when they tried to blow up the World Trade Center in 1983. It's not the only reason, but it all goes into... What I'm let saying me, is... Let me make my point. You just made your point. Let, uh, me, let me just very quickly go. It's a, it's a, it's a, as conservatives would like to say, a complex adaptive system, very similar to climate change. And Republicans and conservatives... Except it's real. And Republicans and conservatives are suggesting without any of the science that backs climate change, mm. that they know the equation, that they can solve the unsolvable, that me, Liz Cheney okay. knows more about this Let than, me, say, Matthew Alexander, no. who was actually doing the interrogation. Actually, Matthew Alexander interrogated people for about three months. The people who do, ran the and CIA program... how long did program, Liz Cheney do it for? Well, uh, the interrogators who I talk about in this book, in this mm -hmm. book where I, you meet for the first time the actual interrogators who questioned Not Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Not all of them, the ones that you chose. The, the ones who ran the Not program. Not all of them, the ones you chose. No, the ones... No, the ones who not ran the program. Ali Sufan's not in this book. 
Actually, he is in the book. Well, he wouldn't talk to you. No, he wouldn't talk to me, but I, but I, I, I talk a little bit about him. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> Ali Sufan, uh, the, the sainted uh, hero of the left, right. uh, who says that we can get all we, of this information. Yeah. Can I please Yeah, yeah, please, please. I'm sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I appreciate the enthusiasm. But yeah, yeah, get yeah, a word yeah, um, Ali Sufan, the sainted hero of the left, who says that we can get all this information with, uh, with, uh, with uh, the FBI's techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, he was put in charge of the interrogation of Mohammed al-Qahtani, the 20th hijacker in Guantanamo Bay, and got nothing from him. Ali Sufan then threw him into the Navy brig for three for two months. Uh, told them that they should uh, that no one he could have no human contact. That people had to wear masks. This is all in the Department of Justice report mm -hmm. uh, and at that and uh, and got nothing still. And it was only when the military took over his interrogation that they got any interrogation reports out of him. So Ali Sufan failed with his techniques to break. And on top of that, Mohammed Al Qatani said that the worst thing that happened to him at Guantanamo Bay mm -hmm. was Ali Sufan putting him in in uh, in two months of isolation. Right. So this is not so clean that that, that no that, absolutely. That, 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 I think the but, point is that it's not clean. Well, but that you can't clean. know no, for certain. No, you can't. That, and that I, maybe you were at, uh, when, when these John, things, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, John. When when the when Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was brought into CIA custody, yes, he had information about terrorist attacks that were planned on the United States. I yes. mean, we were not attacked for seven years right. after the 9/11 attacks. There's right. a reason for it. We were not he attacked was, for seven years after the first World Trade Center bomb on our homeland. I'm sorry. Not on our homeland. We, they, excuse me. Hold on. Hold on. They blew up the uh, the, the the World Trade Center bombing, mm -hmm. the bombings in East Africa, the USS Cole, and then okay. finally 9/11. The there was a pattern. Spain, the bombings the, in Britain, the bombings in the, Afghanistan, the bombings in Iraq. Yeah, it's a yeah. very selective world yeah. that you live in, and it must be yeah. very lovely to live there. But yeah. things are yeah. not so clear cut. John. And the idea John. that you can state John. equivocally John. that these John. lawyers. Let me just John. say this very quickly because I think it's important, and we'll go to commercial and then we'll keep talking. Because I do want to so keep adding you the talk thing. and then we go to commercial. That's right. That's exactly right. Just want to check. I want to make and, sure and how this honestly, program works. When I come on your show, I'd be delighted to let you do that. But <laughs> the idea that you can castigate people as though they are purposefully making America less safe and in league with the terrorists that we're fighting because they disagree with your ideas about safety, I think is what's offensive about this. daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney. She is a former State Department official in her own right, and she is the white whale of the booking department on The Rachel Maddow Show. She just absolutely will not even entertain the idea of coming on the show, even though we ask her all the time, and she does a lot of other TV. Uh, still, though, we live in hope, um, and in that spirit, I want to tell you what she's doing now. This is the latest Be Afraid salvo from Liz Cheney's group Keep America Scared. I mean, keep America safe. The pendulum is starting to swing. Uh, America run by progressives is really, it's, it's about to happen. We're going to be looking for people who uh, share our values. So who did President Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder hire? Nine lawyers who represented or advocated for terrorist detainees. 
who are these government officials? Eric Holder will only name two. Why the secrecy behind the other seven? Whose values do they share? Tell Eric Holder, Americans have a right to know the identity of the Al-Qaeda Seven. Scary, right? Lawyers who represent Guantanamo prisoners are essentially terrorists themselves. They're terrorist sympathizers at least. Well, thanks to intrepid reporting by the Fox News Channel, naturally, uh, we now know the identities of the Al-Qaeda Seven. They're all lawyers who now work for the government. But at some point in the past, they played a role as advocates or attorneys for people who were imprisoned with or without, with or without trial uh, by the Bush administration. The idea is that these newly outed seven lawyers, in addition to two who did this kind of work that we already knew about, they're like a sleeper cell inside the Justice Department. Terrorism. So they're sort of suspected of terrorism too, right? They defended people accused of terrorism, so that means they sort of, they were defending terrorism, sort of. And it turns out that this is way bigger than just nine Justice Department attorneys whom Liz Cheney has ferreted out as Al-Qaeda simps. Turns out, turns out, turns out! 34 of the 50 largest law firms, 34 of the 50 largest law firms in America have done work on behalf of Guantanamo prisoners. 34 of the 50, 34 of the 50, 34 of the 50 biggest law firms in America. They're Al-Qaeda, the Al-Qaeda 34. Even the law firm of Bracewell Giuliani. Yes, that Giuliani is in on this. A senior counsel for Bracewell Giuliani, Carol Elder Bruce, working right now on two habeas cases for terrorism detainees. Rudy Giuliani's law firm. Nice, right? Terrorist sympathizers. They're Al-Qaeda. Osama bin Giuliani. And a TRMS investigation can reveal tonight that this shadowy conspiracy goes much deeper. We can confirm that members of the military's Judge Advocate General Corps have also defended Guantanamo prisoners. Yeah, it's true. People like Lieutenant Colonel David Fracht, who talked about it in uniform right here on this program. We had an Al-Qaeda member on our show. And the military turns out full of the Al-Qaeda. You know who else is a JAG in the military? Republican Senator Lindsey Bin Graham of South Carolina. He's a JAG. JAGs have defended prisoners at Guantanamo. Lindsey Graham is Al-Qaeda. And as we follow the Al-Qaeda 9's trail, we uncover even more frightening evidence of a vast conspiracy. One of them, Neil Katyal, right now the principal deputy solicitor general in the Obama administration, back in 2006, he won a big ruling in the case of Salim Hamdan, Osama bin Laden's former driver. Who sided with him? Who did he win that ruling from? The Supreme Court! Katyal also co-wrote an op-ed with Jack Goldsmith, an assistant attorney general during the Bush administration, arguing for a national security court to try terrorists. Al-Qaeda, Jack Goldsmith, he was in the Bush administration's Justice Department, and there we find out he's Al-Qaeda. Now it gets really scary. Neil Katyal also co-wrote an article defending attorneys who take up the cases of Guantanamo prisoners from political attacks, defending these people. His co-author... I want you to prepare yourself. I'm not kidding here. His co-author was Ted Olson. 
oh yes, the man who got the Supreme Court to give the White House to President Bush and Vice President Cheney. Supreme Court again. Whose values do they share? Are they the real Al-Qaeda 9, Clarence Bin Thomas? <sighs> Hang on a second here. Think about all of this. Jack Goldsmith, Bush Justice Department. Ted Olson, Bush's Solicitor General. The Supreme Court. Do you see where this trail is leading? How can we avoid the conclusion that President Bush was in on this too? He hired and knowingly employed all these Al-Qaeda guys. He was commander-in-chief when all those Al-Qaeda military lawyers were defending all those Guantanamo prisoners. Terrorist sympathizers all serving under George W. Bush. How can we avoid the obvious conclusion that George W. Bush is Al-Qaeda? And if George W. Bush is Al-Qaeda, he allowed to become the most powerful vice president in history Dick Cheney? What, Dick Cheney wasn't in on it? He must have been. He was there. And if Dick Cheney is Al-Qaeda, then, oh man, Liz Cheney, it all comes full circle. You see, she picked the perfect cover. Who would suspect the person calling out the Al-Qaeda 7 was herself Al-Qaeda? It's the perfect disguise. This is perfect. It was perfect. It was, thank God we figured it out. They are all in on it. They are all and if Liz Cheney is part of this, then, oh God, no, oh man, I'm Al-Qaeda too, oh my God, I didn't know, I didn't know. Rachel Ben Maddow, <clears throat> let's go, come on, here we go, we're going. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. come on, come on. Thanks for listening, everyone. So, you know, you may have heard me say in, in the last show about, you know, I don't comment that much on politics. I don't usually have that much to say. And and so because I don't often say a whole lot about politics, I don't often have the opportunity to come out and say, look how right I was. You know, because if you don't make a bunch of uh, statements of, of principle or, or uh, predictions or things like that, then then you miss out on the opportunity to say, see, I told you so. Well, it, it, it turns out this this case is a particularly impressive one. I uh, I had no idea this show was as powerful as it was. Of course, the the most recent show was posted on March twenty fourth, and uh, and and so this article from the New York Times, posted by uh, John Broder, uh, on March twenty fifth, titled "Cap and Trade Loses Its Standing as Energy Policy of Choice." Uh, came a little bit uh, as a surprise to me. In fact, I, uh, a, a link to it was sent to me uh, in, in the vicinity of uh, five to seven minutes ago. So uh, I'm excited to be able to, to say that, I mean, if I, if I have a correct understanding between the difference between uh, causation and correlation, then I'm pretty sure this is because of me. And I had no idea this show was this powerful. But, uh, you know, just to give you a, a quick... A quick rundown, um, you know, it says that, as the title implies, the cap-and-trade is losing uh, losing steam a little bit, and then down in the middle there's a, a paragraph that goes something like, 
Two senators, Maria Cantwell, Democrat of Washington, and Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, have proposed an alternative that they call cap and dividend, under which licenses to pollute would be auctioned to producers and wholesalers of fossil fuels, with three quarters of the revenue returned to consumers in monthly checks to cover their higher energy costs. And then further detail is uh, the, the other one quarter of those uh, of those revenues uh, should be directed to green projects, green energy projects, green jobs, those sorts of things. So it's uh, um, direct reinvestment in, in all that. So um, see, I, I told you so. Now, the second quick thing I just wanted to cover today is that it's uh, it's the end of March and big liberal conference season is coming up soon. Um, I, I checked out the dates and it found out that America's Future Now conference, which uh, used to be called Take Back America before we took it back, um, that is coming up in June. And then the Netroots Nation, uh, which used to be the Yearly Co's, which is a fun play on words from the Daily Co's blog, you know, mega popular uh, liberal blog there. And so that's where all the bloggers and liberal thinkers get together and they're big and powerful and, you know, big, powerful people come and things like that. And everyone gets together and talks about how to make the world a better place. So those two things are coming up in uh, June and July, respectively. First of all, I sincerely recommend that you check it out. If, if you are interested in politics, interested in, uh, if you already are involved blogging or podcasting of any kind uh, or, or anything, anything at all, if you're involved, uh, then you should check it out. And if you are looking to get involved, I certainly recommend checking out. I have, uh, I have not attended per se either of these conferences before. I have uh, volunteered at the Take Back America conference back before we took it back. So that was a little, little fun, but I, I just didn't have the time in my schedule to actually attend. Which brings me to the point now that since uh, this is what I do, I have decided to make a go at, uh, at actually attending these conferences. Uh, one is in Washington, D.C. The uh, America's Future Now conferences is in Washington, D.C., of course, where I used to live but don't anymore. And, uh, and the second is in Las Vegas. So, of course, naturally, uh, getting to these things and, and paying to get in the door, you know, the, of course, conferences have those uh, mildly high ticket prices. I mean, it seems high to me. I'm sure if, uh, if we're trying to go to a, a right-wing conference, uh, it would be a lot more. Like the, the $500 to get in to see Sarah Palin is not that high by, by any stretch. Um, I think the two tickets combined end up being around $500. And then you got to figure out airfare, hotels, that sort of thing. So what I'm saying is I would love to go to these conferences. I would love to kind of get myself more immersed in, in this whole world of uh, liberal online activism and, and um, you know, connect with people, network, so forth. Um, and so what I'm doing is asking you guys for a little bit of support to get me out to those events. So what I'm going to do is put up a, a donation meter on the website. And, you know, there's actually already one there, but this is the Senjay to the Lib Conferences for 2010 meter. Uh, and I'm putting up a goal of $1,000. Tickets to get into the events 
uh, tickets for both events add up to about $500, and then you have the airfare and hotels on top. A thousand may cover it, may not quite cover it, but it's close enough, and it's a nice, easy number. So I'm hoping to raise $1,000 for two big events, which I think will be great, uh, you know, great experience for me, and uh, I have high hopes for, uh, for the benefit that that'll uh, give me and the show and everything like that. So this is just me reaching out to you in the hopes that uh, you guys can help get me there. So those are the items of the day. Of course, now I want to thank a couple of people who are already helping to keep the show going and making it possible to, to be what it is. Uh, Aaron C. signed up for membership on January 27th and has been sticking it out ever since. Um, and Brooke P. signed up uh, even more recently on February 17th and went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. So huge, huge thanks to Aaron and Brooke. And of course, all the members, you've heard this before, but in case you haven't, uh, members make this show possible by donating as little as, uh, possibly even a little less than five bucks a month. And they have the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing they're keeping the show going, but they get some bonus content and video content as well, all through the members-only raw feeds. So if you're interested in uh, helping support the show, that is a great way to do it. Of course, there are a bunch of other things that don't cost any money at all. So uh, for all of the details and all that stuff, check out uh, right on the homepage of the website. There's a big orange box that says support BOTL and uh, and just check out all the different things you can do and uh, keep the show going strong. While you're there, find out how to stay in touch between episodes on Twitter and Facebook. Details on the episodes, including uh, links to all the sources and all the music. I know people love uh, getting all the great music, um, except for those of you who hate the music, but uh, no, no offense taken. So coming to you from as far outside of the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. as I can get, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, which comes to you ten times a month now, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, smell black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Bitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room. Whose shadow bases the floor. We'll take you out in the open door. Hi, my name is Mike. Could I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening, do those free things that Jay asks you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks.